Hello and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan with the Hindu in Chennai, your host for today. Today we are going to be looking at the future of India-China relations after the unprecedented events of June 15, which saw the worst violence on the line of actual control since 1967, with an attack that claimed the lives of at least 20 Indian soldiers. Where do India-China relations go from here? We are very lucky to be joined by Ambassador Gautam Gambawale, a career diplomat who was India's ambassador to China from 2017 to 2018. He also previously served in Pakistan and Bhutan and has worked with China for several decades in his capacity in the Ministry of External Affairs. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anant. It's a pleasure to be with you. But to begin with, as someone who's been working on China with China for so many years, did you ever expect to see what we saw on June fifteenth? That's an excellent question, Anand. I never expected such a thing to happen, and the reason why I didn't expect such a thing to happen is because ever since nineteen ninety three, when India and China signed the bilateral Uh, peace and tranquility agreement and there have been many agreements following that we have put in place certain tenets certain uh, operating procedures which were aimed at maintaining peace and tranquility on the border and obviously all those have collapsed in this particular instance and therefore uh, having such a detailed architecture on maintaining peace and tranquility knowing that we do not have a defined boundary or uh, we even have disagreements about where it lies um, we wanted to maintain peace and tranquility but that unfortunately that entire architecture has collapsed and mm-hmm. is now in the dust heap in the heap of history it's a uh, concerning to say uh, to hear you say uh, this the agreements have collapsed because all said and done through ups and downs they've really helped keep the peace for so many years So, where do you think that leaves us from here? Looking at the all the agreements, ninety three, ninety six, two thousand five, twenty thirteen, what do we do with this with this architecture that we've created, and where does it go from here? Um, in order to answer that question, Anant, I will have to go back uh, to what is my understanding and interpretation of what has happened on the ground since early May this year, especially. Uh, in the Galwan Valley, uh, as far as I understand, uh, Anant, you know, both countries have agreed that there are differences in our opinion of where the line of actual control lies, and therefore it was important to ensure that peace and tranquility is maintained. Now, this time, what the Chinese PLA has done is that they have moved their ground positions. uh towards what they believe is their line of actual control and by doing so they have tried to unilaterally define the line of actual control now the movement of troops the move to uh move your ground positions towards what is your idea your conception of the line the line of actual control in my opinion is a major change in the status quo and therefore without saying that this is china or that is india uh, or this is indian territory and that is chinese territory 
a major change in the status quo where the Chinese have come in with large numbers of troops, have moved them right forward and have built embankments, uh, gun placements, observation towers is an important and fundamental change in the status quo. And that is what constitutes the problem in Galwan. And uh, uh, I think India's bottom line has to be and will be hmm. restoration of the status quo ante. So if we come to Galwan first, uh, on June 19th, uh, the Chinese foreign ministry put out a statement where it seems to suggest they're changing what we thought was where the line of actual control lies. And as far as I understand, we did not have a difference of perception with China in this spot. So just to give our listeners an idea, the LAC, including on Chinese maps that I've seen, is east of where the Galwan and Chiok rivers meet. But the comments on June 19th from the Chinese foreign ministry make it quite clear that they seem to say that the entire valley up to the confluence of the rivers is part of the valley and belongs to China. So is this, a, a, as far as you understand it, Ambassador Babawale, is this a shifting of the LAC in Galwan? Look, I don't want to go into this whole question of claims and counterclaims because over the years, over the decades, there have been any number of claims and counterclaims and the current position that the Chinese have articulated now is yet another one of those claims and counterclaims. I think what I go by is the fact that India and China do not agree to these claims and counterclaims. That's why we have a problem. We have a question. And we need to sit down and bilaterally decide where the line lies, whether you call it an LAC or a boundary. Uh, doing it unilaterally is wrong. And I go by what's happening on the ground, Anand. And on the ground, there is no doubt whatsoever that the Chinese army, the Chinese PLA have changed the status quo in a significant manner. And that is what is not acceptable. Before we come to trying to unpack uh, why China must have uh, taken these very, uh, very significant steps since early May, what realistic options would you say India has and how, and in terms of dealing with the current situation of the status quo being changed and more broadly in dealing with the China relationship after these events? Yeah. Um, so, for, first to uh, address what is happening on the ground or what is the situation on the ground, I think, of course, we have to have a very strong military posture, which we do. There must also be room for talks. There is no doubt, as I, have, as I have said earlier, that when two nation states, when two governments, two countries disagree about the boundary, it can only be done through discussions with each other. It cannot be done unilaterally as the Chinese are attempting to do. So we, we, we should have discussions at the diplomatic and other levels uh, to try to move ahead on uh, where the LAC lies and in fact, uh, you know, come to come some kind of agreement, which is difficult, I agree, but which uh, has to happen and has to take place. As far as the broader relationship is concerned, um, Anant, I feel this is, uh, you know, because of all these reasons. Uh, which I have mentioned earlier, one, that uh, the Chinese have fundamentally violated all our agreements on the maintenance of peace and tranquility. Two, that they are trying to unilaterally uh, define the LAC. Uh, 
uh, and three, the fact that lives have been lost on both sides uh, after a gap of almost uh, many decades. So I think this is an inflection point in India-China relations. And what I would recommend is that India as a country, as a people, uh, including, of course, the government in the lead, must make a fundamental reassessment of its China policy, make changes in it, and then implement it at the earliest. I do not mean that this uh, process has to go on for uh, years. It has to be done quickly in a few months. Uh, but it has to be a whole of India process. And therefore, I do hope that the government will uh, consult not only with opposition political parties as it has done yesterday in the all-party meet, but also with experts uh, in the field. And then we need to come to some conclusions about how we recalibrate our China policy and then, of course, implement that policy. So, so one of the founding ideas of our China policy has been, uh, since 1988, is to keep differences aside and work on other areas, including trade and economic and investment relations. Do you think that after these recent events, that it needs a relook, that you can't really compartmentalize as we did in the past, what's happening on the boundary with, for example, considering working with Chinese companies in areas like telecommunications? Is that part yes. of the conversation that should be had? I think uh, very much that it cannot be business as it was earlier. Uh, and therefore, um, some of the points you have made are absolutely in the mix. Uh, I can only make one suggestion, and I'm, that's why I'm asking and requesting for a wider uh, discussion, uh, because other ideas will also come out and throw up, be thrown up, which could be considered. But one of the suggestions that I have made, and I'll repeat that uh, with to you, Anand, is that I firmly believe that Chinese firms must be kept out of the 5G trial and rollout in India. Uh, that is where it will hurt in the pocket uh, and uh, and i think that is a suggestion that i would definitely make to the government if finally it's for the government of india to decide what is the package of a new policy but i would uh, suggest that and there's one other area uh, that i've i've heard some uh, experts mention is uh, looking more broadly in terms of for example what we are doing in 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 the region uh, is it the case that Perhaps, for example, working with countries in ASEAN is one area where do you think India should be looking at in a different way after these recent events? Let me uh, also complete that train of thought, uh, mm -hmm. Anand, about the economics of it. Right. I am not advocating a complete break. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, normal trade and investment can continue. But I think mm -hmm. on the 5G question, it is very important to take the decision that I have been trying to uh, which I just mentioned to you. Um, as far as, uh, you know, the region and beyond is concerned, uh, there have been some Chinese uh, observers and writers who have said that one of the possible reasons for this uh, dust-up on the border with India this year uh, is to indicate to India to stay away from uh, the United States and other democracies. In fact, I think the, the actual result is going to be exactly the opposite. I, I believe that in the long term, um, you know, that our interests, Indian interests will not be served in a Pax Sinica. 
and therefore it will be very important for India to um, work together, strengthen its partnerships uh, with democracies across the world, including with countries like South Korea, uh, Japan, uh, Indonesia, and, and others, uh, apart from the Western nations. So this is what I believe is going to happen. And I think if the Chinese were expecting this dust up on the border to be a kind of warning on that front, as some Chinese uh, observers have mentioned, I think it's going in exactly the opposite direction. Regarding uh, Chinese motivations, one argument that I've seen articulated uh, recently in an article on China's strategic assessment written by Yun Sun of the Stimson Center, and we link to that article below the podcast, one of the uh, arguments that she makes uh, citing uh, what she thinks are discussions in Beijing is that they looked at India's constructions in the Galwan Valley as a threat to China and, and in some sense of exploiting what China thinks is a moment of weakness that Beijing is going through after the COVID-19 pandemic. And in that sense, her argument is Beijing had to uh, respond to this with a whole lot of strength. Does that uh, sound plausible to you in terms of explaining this reaction in multiple sectors? Um, look, uh, I have, I've read the piece and I, I have uh, seen it. Um, it is plausible, but my question to you, Anand, is need the current situation have gone to the levels that it did? Uh, I, I, uh, you know, there have been other um, situations where we have managed and uh, done uh, a peaceful uh, kind of resolution, uh, including, as you know, uh, very well at Doklam and then before that at Chumar in 2014, Depsang in 2013. So I, I think this time uh, it has crossed the limits. And I believe and I agree with uh, some of the comments made by, um, uh, by very authoritative sources in the government of India that this is a premeditated and well thought out action. I uh, do not see what gain China has had because uh, for some minor tactical gain on the ground, uh, I, I believe that they have strategically lost India. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if that is something they had, they had calculated or not. And another uh, point that I often see made is that they have cited the abrogation of Article 370 last year. Though, of course, uh, soon after the decision, External Affairs Minister Jai Shankar did go to Beijing to try and address some of their concerns. And I think one of the points that he made was that India's external boundaries hadn't really changed in any way. Uh, and of course, it's to be kept in mind that Pakistan has done similar internal reorganizations as well. So in terms of Article 370, as well as, for example, statements made about India taking back Aksai Chin, could that have triggered genuine anxieties in China? Or is this just a convenient post facto explanation for doing what they anyway wanted to do? I, I believe that, you know, if there are these kinds of anxieties, they could have been discussed over a, a table and, uh, and spoken about, uh, you know, across the table, even between the two militaries, uh, even the road building. And that leads me to believe, Anant, that, uh, you know, this particular action by the Chinese PLA this summer is purely uh, something where they are trying to actually control territory which they believe in their conception is theirs. 
which again leads me to the point which I made earlier that you know they are just moving their ground positions to what they feel is their boundary or their LAC. Uh, but they know for so many decades that we do not agree with this, and therefore it cannot be uh, it cannot be done unilaterally. It has to be done in discussion with us. Uh, and that is what the boundary negotiations and discussions have been all about for decades. Uh, so I, I think that this is something which is premeditated. It is purely to do with territory, territory uh, but its implications are both uh, tactical as well as strategic. One uh, final uh, question. You did make the point that even if they are looking at tactical gains, they may have strategically lost India. So do you think that, I know we are right in the aftermath of this really terrible incident, but are we potentially looking at an inflection point that could be as significant as, say, 1988, as far as the relationship is concerned? Um, uh, I, I believe uh, that it, it is so. Um, this is my personal belief, as, as, you, as you know, Anand, and as your listeners know that I no longer speak or work for the government of India. Uh, so I say it as an ordinary Indian citizen who has some knowledge about uh, this relationship. But I believe that um, India will strengthen its partnerships with the democracies of the world. Uh, I, in, in the long term, the way I look at it is that uh, the diametrically opposite values that India holds vis-a-vis uh, -vis China uh, and the uh, values which we share with other democracies ac across the world are going to assert themselves and are going to dictate uh, the position that India takes. So I do see us strengthening our partnerships with all democracies across the world. Uh, and I'm afraid that the India-China relationship has not merely deteriorated, uh, but will also deteriorate further. Ambassador Bawale, on that very sober note, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you, Anand.